episode 43 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Hamish Munro. Hamish is a sports scientist and S&C coach. It's great to be back this week. We missed a week last week, so it was great to get Hamish on and get this episode out. He came on to speak about the lessons from working in China, Dubai, um, with different cultures, different nationalities, and how that now relates to his work and his, his current role with Bristol. We also spoke about tactical periodization. Hamish gave a really good introduction to it. He broke it down really well and also how they, um, how he's used it in his practice and how it's informed his practice. I think it was great to speak to him about that. I said, I couldn't believe that we've gone 43 episodes or 42 episodes and not spoke about it yet. So it's really good to get his thoughts on that. And then also where he sees S&C Sports Science going over the next few years, what he sees developing, where he sees our focus being. So that was good to get his thoughts on that too. Please head over to iTunes. We've got some top reviews on there, but I'd like to get a few more on there. So head over to iTunes, click on the five stars, and please go and leave us a review. We get some great feedback on the podcast, on email, on messages, on Twitter and Instagram. But it would be great if you could just go and put those over on iTunes as well to get this uh, get this episode and these, these podcasts out to more coaches and more practitioners. So please take a couple of minutes out of your day and go and do that. Enjoy the episode with Hamish. Well, welcome back to the Football Fitness Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Hamish Munro, who is a sports scientist and S&C coach. Hamish, thank you very much for coming on. Not at all. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks very much. No, I appreciate you giving up the time, mate. I know it's a, it's a busy time of year for you, so uh, I appreciate you giving up the time. Not at all, mate. Not at all. You've uh, you've had some pretty impressive guys on so far, though. So I hope I don't um, disappoint your listeners too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that won't be the case. You can you can step your game up and take on the uh, the Boyles and the Burgesses of this world. <laughs> we'll have a go. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to kick us off, mate? Just take us through um, your background, where you've been, what you've been up to, and then also your current role and what you're up to now. Yes, mate. Um, so, like many of us in football, um, failed footballer, realised that at a pretty young age. Um, so, the starting point for me really was um, a sort of fitness and personal training course at college when I was 17 years old. Um, so, I went down that road, started PTing and uh, working as a fitness instructor at a local gym. Uh, then it was undergrad, um, where I managed to tie down a couple of internships at London Scottish Rugby Club and Norwich City Football Club while they're in the Prem. That was a really good one. Uh, valuable experience in the academy there. Uh, then it was Peterborough United for an internship um, alongside some postgraduate study um, before I had the chance to go out and work for a team in China um, in the second division and then latterly a team in the third division. I won't bring up the names because nobody will have a clue anyway but um <laughs> it was a it was a really good experience um a mad one but a really good one at 22 so um i was still a nipper then um so from there uh, came home started some master study uh, alongside working at a prep school before going abroad again out to the middle east to um dubai uh to work for a team there called al akli um, so I was there four years um, looking after the under-21 team. Um, again, really good experience. Worked with 
Brazilians, Italians, Spanish, Portuguese, Romanians, other British guys. So it was um, it was really varied and really good. Um, and then I came home in November last year. Um, and since then, I've been working for Bristol City Football Club, looking after the academy strength and conditioning, um, as well as sort of assisting the first team guys um, from time to time. So that's sort of me up until this point, Paul. Awesome. Well, I, I find it really interesting when, when coaches have been to these different places. And obviously China stands out and Dubai. What what are some things that you saw in, in these different cultures that maybe were were very different to how we do things over here? Um, different. Different's the key word. Um, <laughs> I think I think the most interesting bit was from a professional perspective, seeing how different parts of the world go about their job. Um, because especially from my perspective, before I went out there, um, especially China, I was still a kid, I was 22, so I was still a bull in a China shop thinking I knew everything under the sun. Um, so then I was quickly put in my place out there, which was good, um, because then I sort of like learned to appreciate everybody else's perspectives and inputs and ways of going about things. Um, so to this point, China and Dubai and everything else in between has sort of culminated in taking the best bits from the Spanish lads, from the Portuguese guys, from the South Americans. And um, yeah, like I'm pretty happy to have um, been able to obviously culminate all of those experiences into, the, into my practical application um, today, which definitely wouldn't be where it's at without that, those varied experiences 100%. Um, and then I think from a personal perspective, the two countries were really interesting in terms of um, the, just the way they went about life. You had China, which is so serious, so communistic, so everything has to be done, you know, black and white. There's no gray area. Um, and, then, and then you go out to the Middle East into Dubai and it's the most chilled out place you'll ever be in your, in your life. Like trying to get anything done there is cool quite hard work at times but it's because everybody's so chilled out they're horizontal it's um it's quite a relaxed environment um contrary to many people's beliefs so um yeah there's quite quite a lot of takeaways mate um and i definitely recommend anybody that has the chance to go and walk, work abroad to do it because you won't realize the benefits of it until you're out the other side of it um so yeah it's, it's definitely worthwhile and just for the coaches listening, and there's a lot of people seeking new opportunities. What, where did the? Uh, so obviously, you said about Norwich and Peterborough being. Were they internships? Yeah, they were both internships, mate. Yeah. So, how did you go from the internship to to getting the opportunity in China? Um, so, I had a really successful internship at Norwich in the academy. In that, uh, I really maximised it and. I thought that I also brought quite a lot in my time there as well. So um, the head of sports science there, a guy called Mike Watts at the time, who's now out in the States working for Under Armour, um, he helped me out. He'd basically been in China before um, and then dropped me a message while I was at Peterborough, which honestly speaking, the internship wasn't going as well as Norwich. Um, so when he came to me with an opportunity like that for a full-time paid role in another country, I sort of bit his hand off. So just from previous contacts and previous people that you've worked with? Yeah, the, the, the China opportunity was exactly that. Dubai was a bit different in that I went to Dubai um, 
in like a personal training role initially um, just because I wanted to get out of the, the deepest dark winters in the UK to be honest um, so I went out there as a, as a PT um, but it was in like a sports performance facility it was with a, a bunch of guys that I graduated with from St Mary's on the S&C degree um, so that was almost like my, my way in like it was it was a really good opportunity to go and explore that country and I only only ended up doing that for six months because when I got out there I sort of um well sort of two things unfolded one that I realized I wanted to go back into football quite quickly and that coincided with the business not doing as well as expected so me being the last one in the door and the first one out probably wasn't the end of the world at the end of the day and um I sort of got to know these guys at the club, the British guys at Al-Ali and a guy called Chris Loxton, who now works for FIFA, um, is their head of tactical analysis, I think is, is, uh, his title is. And um, yeah, he helped me out um, by getting me a job there when a, an opportunity came up with the 21. So again, it's just like you guys are constantly championing, it's, it's that networking and it's being able to offer things to other people. So, you know, hopefully... Uh, later down the line that will that will come come back to you um in some capacity so yeah yeah definitely no it's really interesting and was that obviously you're saying about the china opportunity was that before the the money was really being spent and the the european players and well not just european players but some of the biggest players biggest names in, in world football were, were thinking about heading over there was that before that that you were over there yeah, so to put it in context, the first club I was with, we had a pre-season tour in Beijing and we played a team called Beijing Guan and the biggest player pretty much in China at the time, um, apart from Drogba, was, uh, Drogba and Anelka, was um, Freddie Canute. Freddie Canute was playing up front, up front for Beijing. Um, and yeah, so that was like the first wave he was probably the biggest name in China at the time. Um, we had lads, uh, the, the three foreign guys that were with us, we had a guy who played under Harry Redknapp at Portsmouth, Alex, Alex Roddick, who was a great guy. Um, and we had two other foreign lads from Europe, both internationals from Bulgaria and Estonia. But um, yeah, like the, since then, since 2013, obviously the, the money and the names have, have gone crazy. And it's, um, yeah, it's a big attraction for a lot of people now. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely more and more looking out there, isn't there? And more opportunities, I think, seem to be uh, seem to be coming up at different clubs. Yeah, definitely. I think, like, there's obviously still that. Um, I don't know how you term it, like that that cultural place to place with backroom teams there at the moment settled medical staff quite settled sports science staff to a to a certain degree um whereas over there it's still a bit of a merry-go-round and the, the coach brings in a new team then that team leave and then a new team comes in so it's um yeah there's there's plenty of opportunities if you've got the right coach on side um and i think that will again it will develop to the point where like in england where there there are a bit more sort of settled performance departments in time um but yeah, it will just take time like anything does over there. Yeah, definitely. And this is a bit of a sort of open-ended question. You can sort of take it how you want, but I'd be interested to see how your um, ex how your experiences and, and the clubs you've been at and the cultures you've been around have been 
um, have changed over the have changed your practice over the years. So, how has your approach changed to physical development, football fitness, whatever you want to call it, with with your experience? Um, I would say I'm a lot less highly strung than what I was when I first started out. So I remember like the first few months when I was in China, when I was still sort of a young coach, it was, well, I say a young coach, I'm not even 30 now, I'm not an old coach, but a younger coach. Um, when I was a younger coach, I was, I was always really quite regimented. And if people mess, missed one set of their deadlifts or one set of their Nordics or and I'll be pulling my hair out and I'll be like, oh, why are you not doing that? Why are you not doing it this way? You know, you've got to get it done and this, that and the other. And I think everybody's like that to start with um, to a certain extent. Um, so I think over the years I've, I've become a lot more chilled out and I've, I've given a lot more autonomy back to people um, because I think then you get a lot more from them. I think if you've got a genuine personality and you've, pardon the cliche, got a bit about you with the players – then you're always going to be able to draw something out of them. So you've just got to sort of individualise your approaches to players based on their personality types, what they, you know, what they like, what they dislike, um, and offer it back to them. So you know, nowadays, if 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 I if I ask somebody to trap bar deadlift and they said no, can I go and back squat or can I go and leg press? I'm not going to lose much sleep over that now. Like yeah, go and do it as long as you do it at the intensity I want it to be done and you understand that it's all good um, so yeah I think it's just developing a bit more of an understanding and giving a bit more autonomy back um, in terms of players taking a bit more responsibility for their own development I think that comes with experience doesn't it like you said when you first get into a role regardless of the club and, and the level like you want to you want to sort of see that you're playing playing by the rules, I suppose, don't you? And then you create you create your coach style and you see what works over the years with experience. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's it's, it's obviously like any industry, but in our industry especially, like you're going to make a lot of mistakes when you're young. I mean, you're fresh out of fresh out of uni and and into internships. You're going to make so many mistakes, and you've just got to sort of be aware of that and put yourselves in environments that mistakes aren't going to be too problematic you know go out and get the internships and the experience and um and make the mistakes there and just make sure to take on board what you're getting wrong um like any facet of life just to make sure that you're developing and um and improving crucially yeah no definitely now when we spoke initially about getting you on the podcast and, and what we were going to speak about. Obviously, we mentioned tactical periodization and, and you said that it had been uh, talked about a lot and you spoke about it a lot. And then I had to think about the podcast and I was like, we've actually not had anyone that's gone into much detail on it. I think that is probably because it is all over social media. There's loads of information out there. But I think it'd be great to get your input on it and, and see what your views are, how you've used it, your experiences with it. And also to, just to give a bit of a, a general breakdown for anyone that doesn't really know what it is or, or um, how clubs use it. So can you go into some detail on that? Yeah, so the guy that introduced me to it um, was one of the assistant coaches in China, a Portuguese guy called Flourish Gap. Um, 
born in Holland, obviously with a name like that, but uh, played and coached um, in Portugal. So he was a guy who introduced me to it. And I apologize to him in advance if I butcher any of this because the Portuguese can, can get a bit touchy if you get it wrong on tactical periodization because it's obviously their baby. So, um, yeah, so obviously it was, it was created by a guy called Vito Frade, a very well-known professor out of the University of Porto. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a structure that is based around the coach's game model. That is the most important thing throughout tactical periodization, that the coach has a good understanding and a real strong applied model to the way he wants to play. So obviously it's based off the, the four phases of the game. So you've got the attacking organization, defensive organization, uh, and then the transitions, both attacking and defensive. Um, and it's really important that the coach knows what he wants from a micro to a macro level from every uh, when it, every facet of play. Because then what happens is every training practice is sort of relates directly to these principles. So you have the sort of really important principles. You have sub-principles, sub-sub-principles. I mean, they're all important, but you have more global um, principles and then more micro um, principles alongside them. Um it's, this this game model and these principles, they are the guiding process of, of, of each training session. So everything's got to sort of relate back to the game. Um, and nothing in, in, in training can be done in isolation, um, in, in preparation for fixtures. Um, so with every game action, there's sort of obviously the decision making, which is sort of the t- tactical dimension. Then you've got the, the action, be it the technical dimension, and then obviously within that house there's a movement, which is the physiological dimension. And then obviously encompassing of all of that is the, the psychological decision-making in and around that. Um, with your experience, how has it influenced your practice? Uh, I, I think it's definitely given me a greater understanding of what coaches are required to do. Like, before that, I was probably quite uh, arrogant and uh, I was one of the guys going, yeah, but the coach does that or yeah, but the gaffer does this, um, which is not helpful in, in any aspect. Um, so it definitely gave me a greater appreciation of a, a sort of a holistic preparation um, within, within football clubs and backroom staffs and the roles and responsibilities for each of those individuals. And I think most importantly, more, more than anything, it made me reassess traditional periodization in football because, so I was sort of brought up with the, the traditional bumper block, Matveyev, like the, the texts and the, the books that everybody will read. Um, and then trying to shoehorn these into football um, I, it didn't really make much sense sense to me. So when when I came around to tactical periodization and the emphasis on the microcycle and getting the microcycle right, that makes so much sense to me. Um, and and I think that's where we're driving towards. It's building these plug and play microcycles that make up your meso and your macro um, based on a stabilization of load, which is another key principle of tactical periodization. So. Um, yeah, it, 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 it made me reassess quite a lot um, and developed a lot of what I do.
what are some of the things you potentially uh, tried uh, using or, or elements of your practice that you've put into play with in terms um, in relation with tactical periodization that haven't potentially gone as well or that you've had to change along the way? I think so tactical periodization if you use it in its entirety is pure football which obviously being an SNC and a sports scientist I'm I'm not necessarily in agree with agreement with um, and then also within the model something that I've used quite a lot previously which now doesn't make as much sense is a, a six-day lead-in into a game including the game so you'd be in plus two minus four minus three minus two minus one and then you play um, without a day off if you stick to the model um, sort of purely um, and, and and while I was working abroad and we were working with footballers that weren't necessarily driving the same intensities as those in the UK or in Europe you could pro- you could get away with it a bit more um, but having come home and sort of like realigned myself with, with the intensity of football obviously at championship level and obviously watching it at premiership uh, level as well like you're probably not going to be able to get away with that if you're if you're driving true intensity within the training week so I think something that's definitely changed for me would be the inclusion of a day off whether that's the the traditional English model which is two days in day off two days in play or something that I quite like now that a lot of teams are driving at is the so you're obviously plus one, plus two, it's much of a muchness. Some people will do plus one in, some people will do plus two in. It doesn't really matter. It's just a recovery period, that 48 hours post-game, isn't it? So um, then after that, that's when the crux of the week comes. Um, it's that acquisition period. So minus four and minus three, see, they're quite ag- aggressive days. And I think a lot of teams will stick to tactical periodization in those two days. So the minus four is the strength day the tight day, and then for me, that would be like a really aggressive strength hit in the gym. Um, and then the minus three would be more of a velocity-based day, bigger areas. Um, and then from, again, from my perspective, it would be more about hitting top speeds and any conditioning top-ups. Um, and then now, obviously, a lot of teams are having that minus two off, um, which I think is a really good idea because you can really be super aggressive with the minus four and the minus three, the acquisition days. And then the sort of mini taper block at the end of the week, the minus two and the minus one, you can be rest assured you're going to get them turned around for that game and they're going to be primed and ready to go. Um, so the day off in the week is definitely something that um, I, I would change and have changed from some, some when I first started with uh, tactical periodization. So obviously with that, the, the intensities will relate to the football practice as well as, as the work that you do. But can, can you go into a bit more detail on on your practice? So when you're getting the guys um, in the gym or out on the pitch and you've got that strength focus or you've got that speed focus and you need that speed exposure, what do those sessions look like? Can you give a bit of an overview of that? I think... I think like where we're drifting with this topic is a really interesting debate because I think so obviously my title and a lot of people's titles is strength and conditioning coach and within football I think they both mean very different things from an applied perspective so I think the strength work 
I think while obviously you'll do that on the field with the the tight, the 2v2, the 4v4, the 1v1, specific tight overloads, things like this, you need to train true strength in the gym. Like we all know that you, you're not going to get that adaptation without that. So that's definitely something that I think is the reverse in terms of conditioning. I think you can get 99.9% of what you want to get conditioning-wise from a football session. We've got you know GPS and heart rate on every player and every team pretty much in the league now. So you know you you should be able to design practices alongside coaches that drive certain intensities and certain outputs. Now I get that sometimes you'll have to do top-ups. Like, you know, openly, we, we use a top-up on a minus three um, with our boys uh, in the 18s to make sure people are hitting top speeds. Um, you know, depending on loads, obviously, that will mean different things to different people. But um, that, that's one of the only sort of nuances when I think you would need to use a separate conditioning stimulus um, to that of the football. Um, obviously, you've got, obviously other nuances within that as well like guys that having to do conditioning hits 20 minutes after a game you know on the field that's obviously not an easy one um but yeah that's 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 my sort of biggest programming thing is that, that strength needs to be as non-specific to football as possible get in the gym get lifting load or get under load um and then conditioning needs to be 99.9 percent .9 of the football yeah, it's quite a confused title, that, isn't it? And I think that's where these these new titles have come about from, is that people have sort of gone away from the fact that we're using strength and conditioning as a title. And, and you're right in saying that we need to understand it, we need to understand what we mean when we're talking about it and what our roles are. And certain clubs as well, I think people and coaches will have really specific roles like you see um, clubs now have, having strength coaches or power coaches or or whatever you're going to call them and that, that's got a real specific role hasn't it rather than, than the whole rounded approach mate 100% and I think that's just the development of our field right I think I think in the next 10 years that that's where it will go like I know there's a lot of Portuguese guys working around the world and they and they call themselves training load planners which I remember seeing that a few years ago, and I was like, "What training load planner?" Like, I, I didn't really know what to make of it, but it makes a lot of sense to me now. In that, that you know, these guys are, are fitness coaches, so they understand the physiology and you know the basis of stress, the gas principle, and everything like that, which head coaches might not understand. But then, obviously, they're technically, tactically aware and touch tight to the head coach, so they understand what he wants. So I think roles like that will come up. I think obviously like Leicester and a few other guys have advertised for strength and power coaches. Obviously it's that specificity of what is wanted in the gym. Like realistically, we want them to do exactly that. We want to increase strength, increase power. And then um, everything else on the field is conditioning speed. We can get that from the football again and, and we can get that within warm-ups and things like that. So yeah, I think the, the evolution of titles um, is 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 definitely developing. I think uh, making sure there's clarity in them is the most important thing. So people aren't, you know, head coaches aren't getting muddled and uh, lost in lost in translation with certain titles. But um, 
yeah, I think it's definitely something that's kicking on, and it's only going to grow over the next sort of next few years. And do you think that's one of the biggest um, mistakes made in terms of tactical, tactical periodization is that there isn't that integrated team, there isn't the cohesive um, coaching setup that people don't sort of work together and they're not working towards and, and structuring sessions around the game model. And that might not be something that's been at clubs that you've been at, but just a bit of a broad statement. Do you think that's one of the biggest mistakes? I think it's it's a difficult one, right? Like I remember Dave Tenney talking about this a lot and about people working in silos. And I think it's potentially a problem. I think I think obviously before you had the fitness coach and the fitness coach did everything. So. Like, I'll be honest, my role in Dubai was a fitness coach. So I looked after the GPS, the heart rate, the gym, the meetings with the coaches, some rehab. I did a bit of everything, which was great. But then, and I had great clarity from the head coach because I was obviously touched tight to him, but I didn't get to any sort of level of detail with anything, which was pretty frustrating. Whereas now, like in my role at Bristol, I'm, I'm pretty much gym-based. So I can be really aggressive and detailed in the planning and the execution of, um, of the gym work. And I think it's just about that clarity of what people are doing on what days at what intensity. So if you know it's a minus four, you know it's a one-game week, you know this, this player is this, that player is that, and everybody's on the same hymn sheet in terms of where people are at and where people need to go and what day we're on, I think it's it works fine and, and these silos are sort of sort of quashed yeah definitely you know it's interesting to get you, your views on that and um, we, I mean we've spoke about that a lot about understanding other people's roles and, and working uh, working towards the same sort of goals and, and towards the game model and then obviously Tom Little came on and his, his episode was managing the microcycle and I know you mentioned that before in terms of being flexible and um, adapt, being able to adapt your practice as well because obviously within football things change don't they they change very quickly yeah absolutely absolutely they do so and there's no excuse for that now right because we track everything so we have all the information so we, we should be able to make decisions on the fly with a pretty from a pretty informed perspective I think like you say, certain weeks um, are going to mean different things. Certain sessions are going to mean different things. And that's where I think that clarity with the coach and understanding with the coach is really important again. So, you know, if you, if you know you're starting to rack up quite a lot of high intensity running, for example, on a minus three, is, is what the coach is doing that beneficial in terms of the game model like if they're, if they're getting so much from it then maybe you let it fly but if it's quite a random practice or in your eyes a random practice you, you might go and have that that chat but again you need to build that relationship um, to have those conversations and yeah I think again everything comes back to communication and com conversations right it's, it's, it's just understanding everybody's point of view and making sure everybody's singing off the same hymn sheet and doing it in a respectful way I really like asking coaches, and, and especially with your experience, I think it'd be great to get your input on this, on, on building relationships and what you think 
um, across your career has been influential on on that and how you've managed to do that because I think there's a lot of people a lot of coaches out there that are very very good practitioners but they do struggle with that side of the, of the practice and it's really important a really important aspect of it so what would your advice be and where do you think your career has, has been developed in that in that manner uh, I haven't read cover to cover sports science or strength and conditioning book for years to be honest and I think what they've been replaced with have developed me no end and I think a lot of people are starting to see that now as well in terms of like external sources of information so like personally speaking the big one was Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi and Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People um, because I think when you yeah, so when you get those two nailed down, that's where I think you you start to be able to understand building relationships. And I I don't think it's particularly complicated to be honest. Like like none of us are on TV, none of us are millionaires. Like we're all pretty similar. Like if if I if I reach out, you know, for somebody for a coffee, and if they reach out to me, like I, I would never turn my nose up and I would never expect somebody to turn their nose up like in the, I know people speak about you know you've got to be able to what can you offer that person but I think that sometimes that's quite a sinister view I spoke about that previously like you know when you go into internships and other things you don't have a lot to offer because you're fresh into it so you have to you know just be quite genuine with your like approach and just be quite honest and out there um, and, I, and, I, and I think you can develop relationships very quickly and then obviously whenever you are in a position to help somebody out do it to the best of your ability um, and that's where I think that, that relationship building and networking and becoming a bit more aware like I, I think that that's massively important in what we do I think it is a funny area and a funny subject because it does seem like a really simple and easy thing to do, doesn't it? To reach out to people, to speak to people. But there are a lot of people that struggle with it. And uh, do, you, do you find that you're, because you mentioned about having the um, experience in PT and in fitness and within, obviously within the gym as well. Do you think that had a big influence on on you being uh, having that ability to, to communicate with people? Uh, potentially mate potentially I mean like I'm for people that know me like I'm not a particularly quiet character so like I'm pretty out there and I'll chat to pretty much anybody as it is Um, and I mean if you're going to work in football on the front line like I think you pretty much need to be like that um, or you need to take a bit of a backroom role Um, you know that's just my opinion Um, and yeah I think uh, potentially having to speak to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways that could potentially have helped honestly it's never, never something I've really thought about but now you've brought it up then yeah it could have absolutely had a positive influence I think it's like anything right the more people you speak to uh, in, in different situations it's going to develop your ability to communicate so yeah it makes a lot of sense I think people have just got to put themselves out there like the, the worst thing people can say is no or I'm busy or like, you know, it's not any skin off your nose at the end of the day. Just just put yourself out there and um, be genuine. Yeah, and I think that's the value of the internships as well, isn't it? You said about, obviously, the B 
being in football and having to have that that outgoing personality and that's I'm guessing that's what you you got from the internship as well being in that environment yeah I mean fair play I was I was working with the academy lads and as soon as I was getting seen off um by the under 14s like then you're like okay right I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've arrived now yeah like um yeah and you quickly develop a bit of a thick skin and then make sure you've got one in the chamber for everybody um for when they come at you <laughs> um but yeah I, I, again you just expose yourself to different environments and and be quite open-ended and don't take yourself too seriously and you're going to develop those skills right so again it's just just developing a plethora of experiences yeah definitely so again another bit of a broad question and again take this how you want but how do you see the future of, of S&C Sport Science what do you think is going to change what do you think is going to come into it or, or go, go out of it over the next few years I think it's a it's a very good question and it's a very difficult question right so I think a lot of people have already spoke about this um but I think it's it's true, um, is that I'm not sure that our level of tech is going to keep exploding. I think our level of tech is probably going to stay pretty consistent now. And we're just, well, I hope it does, because we need to drill down and be better at identifying meaningful metrics and understanding what actually means what rather than thinking we do. Um, because I think that happens far too often. Um, I think as a result of that, we're probably going to go roundabout in terms of our approach uh, to training. I think a lot of us, with the introduction of tech and the fact that we could start to monitor everything, um, we started to pussyfoot around it a bit. And you know, there was, you know, when people start to get pulled and this and that, like, I, th I, I hope we're gonna be a bit more aggressive again. Um, because for me, that, that's a big thing, like chasing intensity, like um, exposing boys to intensity week in, week out, like, alongside managing your training load that, that's got to be two of the biggest things for keeping people healthy so um yeah i hope we we continue to develop our understandings of the tech and i hope we continue to be as aggressive as possible um within the training environment as well yeah i think i heard i think it was tony stroke work a good few years ago now and he was one of the first people i i heard mention that about us being aggressive and getting the intensities right and I think it is something that's becoming more of a discussion now isn't it that we need to make sure that we're exposing players to the right intensities at the right time but when when we can go hard we we do need to push rather than constantly being sort of treading on eggshells around players yeah 100% and like for me personally speaking in my current role like from from a gym perspective i'm so aggressive with the boys from a loading perspective um within that mini loading block of the microcycle so especially for me that minus four um that's an ideal time to have that big that big strength hit um and equally the minus three um max speed if you're going to have that day off the next day that's another great time to do it um obviously providing you're not too sore from the minus four but but yeah like you say mate it's just picking picking your you picking your times and i think you've got to back yourself i think there are times where you you're going into busy periods and there's like you hover on the brake or the accelerator and i think sometimes you just got to back yourself and fly by the seat of your pants to a certain extent um because 
you know, if somebody's going to get injured, you'd much rather do it being aggressively rather than backing off and um, just sort of like watching their preparedness deteriorate in front of your eyes. So, um, yeah, ag- aggressive where possible, definitely. No, I think that's top advice. Um, I think it's something that coaches need to hear. And I think it is a, it's a discussion I've seen a lot of people have. I think it's quite a current discussion at the moment with, with amongst coaches. Um, so I think it's great to get your input on that. Yeah, and I think I think people shouldn't get that muddled either. Like so, like from my point of view, it's when I speak about this aggressiveness, I speak more about intensity than I do volume. I think in pre-season and in off-seasons, then volume becomes much more of a, a viable factor, and maybe in international breaks and things like this where you don't have games. But I think intensity, you know, there's, there's no excuse to not be hitting intensities, um, especially lower volumes week in, week out. So, um, yeah, it's definitely an interesting discussion point. I'm sure you'll have other guys on here that will come on and probably say completely different things. And that's the beauty of what we do, right? But, um, yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, for me, it's about chasing that intensity. That's such an important parameter of um, performance enhancement. No, definitely. No, it's been great getting you on, mate, and speaking about all that. I think the stuff, um, the information on tactical periodization has been great. I, I, I can't believe we've gone 43 episodes and not really had anyone speak about it yet. So it's great to get your input on that. And I think you've covered some quality information there. So thanks a lot for your time. Not at all, mate. I think, yeah, I think tactical periodization is definitely sort of a fashionable topic at the moment. I think you could definitely get on guys sort of much more um drilled into that way of doing things than, than, than myself i hope i've been able to like offer a bit of a, an introduction um but i think on that as well i think especially for the young guys obviously the older guys will know this by now but the, especially the young coaches like be aggressive at trying to build out your own hybrids you should i don't think you should take anybody's there's any number of football models out there don't don't just take it as a cookie cutter like be aggressive in trying to develop your own way of doing things and um I think you'll definitely be better off um, be better off in that way. No, no, that's top advice. Really good advice. So where's, if people got questions and they've got anything they want to reach out to you about, where's the best place to do that? Probably on Twitter, mate. Um, so I'm at Hamish Munro 90. Um, people can also find me on LinkedIn, just Hamish Munro. Um, I'm on instagram as well can't remember my handle off the top of my head um but yeah the linkedin and twitter they're probably the best places to uh, to touch base on anything awesome i think you might have a, a few questions coming over hopefully from uh, coaches out there so it'd be good if you can reach out and get some discussion and conversation going yeah definitely anytime i'm i'm open to chatting with anybody anytime really because you know, I'm probably going to get as much, if not more, from them than what they are to me. From me, so um, yeah, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time. I know it's a, a busy time of year, and uh, I wish you all the best for the rest of the season. Thanks very much, mate. I appreciate you having me on. I hope you guys continue to sort of build and go from strength to strength because um, yeah, you're doing a lot of positive things for a lot of people. So um, keep it up. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll we'll speak soon. Absolutely, mate. Take care. Thanks a lot, Amish.
Big thank you to Hamish for giving up his time. I know it's a really busy period for him at the moment, so it was great for him to come on. He's someone we wanted on for a while, and it was really good to, to pick his brains on a number of, of aspects of SNC and sports science, some that we haven't covered too much before as well. You can go and follow Hamish. He's on Twitter at Hamish Munro90. Some of the biggest takeaways for me were where he talked about being more chilled out of his coaching. So that that's come with experience. He talked about being being very like regimented with his coaching and and getting wound up and stressed out about things that he wanted to implement with his players. And then when it didn't go according to plan, then it it stressed him out. But he's become more chilled out over the years and found ways around that. And then he talked a lot towards the, the end of the podcast about being aggressive with intensities. I think that's a really good message to take from this podcast. And probably the main thing I've taken away from it is that when you do have a hard day, you do have an intensive day, then be aggressive. We need to um, exert players to these loads and these intensities that are needed for the, to protect them from the elements of the game and the exposures and the forces that come across in the game. And, and we, do, we do want to protect players, but we don't want to become too overly protective of players at the same time. And just um, to extend on that as well, to really understand the relationship between volume and intensity. And you touched on it a little bit in the episode. And I think it's something we could probably do a whole podcast on as well, is that I think it's quite a confused topic. When, To be honest, when we speak to a lot of players, they don't really understand the difference between volume and intensity. I hope coaches do. But with a lot of players, they don't. So it's really important to understand that we can go high on the intensity but we do need to manage the volume especially in certain um, times a year throughout a season so it's great to have Hamish on I hope you took loads from it I know he's really keen to get discussions going so if you do have any questions or anything you want to speak to him about reach out to him he's um, he's on Twitter like we said so you can you can reach out and get in touch with him just a little update on our network meetings at the time of recording this, we do have a few tickets left for our, our network meeting with Darren Burgess. This has been um, a meeting that we've, we've put on quite quickly. We're going to be in Manchester at Manchester Institute of Health and, and Performance, a really impressive facility in Manchester. And obviously Darren's going to be moving back to Australia. So this is going to be one of the last things that he's going to be doing over in the UK. So really privileged to have Darren coming and speaking for us. At the time of this uh, being recorded, I think we have about eight tickets remaining for it. We do, we do have a capacity for this meeting, so when the tickets are gone, unfortunately, we, we're going to have no more space at this meeting just to, due to the size of the room. But it's also going to work really well in that we're not going to have loads of coaches. There's going to be a really good-sized group that we can engage with and, and get plenty of networking done and obviously get the chance to speak to Darren as well and ask questions. So... If you do want tickets, if you do want to come, head over to the website, footballfitfed.com, click on network meetings and events, and the link is there for you to go and get your ticket. It'd be great to have as many people there as possible. Like we said, there's, there's a lot of the tickets gone already, but um, there are a few left at the time of recording, so then you might be lucky enough to, to go and get one. You can go and follow us. So I mentioned the website there. You can see a lot of our work over on the website, footballfitfed.com. But you can also follow us on Twitter, at footballfitfed, Instagram, at footballfitfed. And if you've got any feedback on the podcast, any recommended guests or anything at all, you can email us, mail at footballfitfed.com. Massive thank you again for listening. And we'll speak to you again next week.